2: Good morning, everyone. I'm Dottie Herman, and welcome to I on Real Estate. As you know already, real estate is always a topic of conversation. Everybody talks about it. Everyone wants to know about it. It doesn't matter where you live, what you make. Real estate, as I say, is the universal language. You should tune into our show every Saturday um, at AM 970. You can follow me on DottieHerman.com. And you can get all our shows, or you can go to the app, um, AM970, the Answer mobile app, or iHeartRadio. And if you missed anything, you can get it. Um, I am thrilled to be back with my show's co-host, residential legal expert, attorney Stephen Ebert, a partner at prestigious firm Casson & Casson, located in Westchester and all around the country, to fill us in on the latest legal developments, and there's plenty. Um, and at 11 o'clock, we'll be joined by Frank Shirley, principal of Frank Shirley Architects in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and the author of New Rooms for Old Houses, Beautiful Additions for the Traditional Home, which is what he does. Um, and finally, at 11.30, we'll be joined by Peter Conte, who's been a regular on our show when it comes to insurance from Hone, Conte Perino Insurance Agency. He's going to be talking about what you need. The, you know, what the minimum, because you can never have enough insurance, so there sometimes has to be a limit, so what you can need. But Steve, I missed you. I'm glad you're back. <laughs> uh, how was your uh, escapade? with your, You picked up your kids from camp, no?
3: Yeah, so great to be back, Dottie. Looking forward to another show. Yeah, basically picked up the kids from camp, and then we went away uh, for a week and went down to Tennessee uh, in the Smoky Mountains, which uh, is um, the most visited national park in the country. Um, We went around, went to basically the highest point on an observation area that you can go in the mountains east of the Mississippi, whitewater rafting, um, seeing a lot of the local um, sites, and uh, we were staying in the mountains. And um, tried, somebody tried to join our tour. We had a very friendly bear who on two occasions tried to open the car door while we were sleeping, uh, left a nice wow. paw print on the door, but no damage.
2: <laughs> Get out of here. I mean, that's who you see on TV. I mean, you don't really – that really happens.
3: We, 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 we have both the paw print as evidence and we got the ring video. So literally, the bear was so smart, walks right over nonchalantly, goes right to the car door, tries it, realizes they can't open it, and then walks away. Wow. So um, very, very smart. That's a smart. story to tell. Um, it is. That's and we got know, the that's... video.
2: Wow. So have you had a good time?
3: Great time. Highly recommend it. And, and, you know, it's a beautiful area of the country. Definitely recommend uh, for people who haven't seen it. It was in the eastern part. And to see also some of the homes, because, of course, i got to have a real estate angle, too. The homes that were built there, many of them are in the side of the mountains. So you see a home with a very small foundation and the rest on stilts um, in the mountains. And this is Gatlingburg and Pigeon Forge. Beautiful area. And it, it was quite a drive in and out. And it really is magnificent. And for anyone who hasn't been to the area, definitely recommend visiting.
2: Okay. I have a question for you. Let's see if I can stump you on this. Um, would you happen to know who the biggest world landowner is?
3: The biggest – okay, so I'm, I'm going to say around the world – it's not going to be one particular government. Let's go private, right? We're not talking about a government.
2: Now, I know you're smart, um, Steve. You're one of the smartest guys I know, but this one's a little tough. Okay. But let's see.
3: So are, are we talking anywhere around the world or just private landowner, non-government?
2: Well... Uh,
3: that kind of gives it away. <laughs> yeah. Well. All right. Well, if it it's, was private... It's a,
2: oh, I, I'm going to give you a really... Big hint. First of all, it's not a man.
3: Yeah. Yep. If I had, if I, if, so if I was going to say a non-government, I would say the Vatican is the biggest landowner.
2: Well, I might have maybe thought that, but I have this, I found this article, I thought it would be like really interesting to talk about this today for a second, and for all of those listening, it's good to know, and it's also, you'll sound like a genius if you talk about this in a conversation, but I found an article and it said, Queen Elizabeth II is known for many things, um, of course, being the queen of the United Kingdom, but the royal family also owns plenty of real estate, and that includes acres and acres of land, And Queen Elizabeth owns 6.6 billion acres. Uh, She's about the one-sixth of land on the entire, oh, she owns one-sixth of the land on the entire planet. Uh, Most of the land falls under the Crown Estate, which essentially operates as a real estate business. And all profits of the crown estate go to the United Kingdom's treasury. But you should note, listen to this, that the queen receives 15% of those profits. So that's a lot of money. Uh, You know, then they go on to say that real estate has played a major role in the royal family's net worth. In the UK, the queen's real estate operations hold more than $16 billion in property. This includes, of course, you know, Buckingham Palace, Kensington Estate, Windsor Castle, but she also, I mean, I never knew this about it, but she also owns plenty of retail and commercial real estate, too, plus well, Australia. The, you
3: know, did- I'm going to add on this for a second. A lot of London, and for those who are, are in, the, in the inner areas of London, um, a lot of it is uh, leasehold from the Crown. So really? if you actually, yeah, so if you actually look at it, I mean, we have it also in New York, this idea uh, of a leaseback, land lease type right. deals, but the Crown actually owns a lot. So it's, it's a very interesting, different kind of situation. Um,
2: yeah, it yeah. says she owns a lot of property, but, is it, but it isn't all empty land or fancy homes. Um, they report that she owns 14 retail and shopping parks. Along with three shopping centers in the UK, the retail, residential, and office space around Regent Street and Saint James Place in London is also owned by the Queen. Um, she owns prestigious residence and commercial space. That's only part of it. Um, that she also, the Queen also owns Australia. Now, okay, she technically owns the land of any Commonwealth she reigns over which includes Australia and Canada along with several several Caribbean islands the Bahamas Antigua Belize Barbados Grenada and it goes on Jamaica now it says queen elizabeth is by far and away the world's largest landowner and it would be hard to surpass her impressive 6.6 billion acres and the closest to her on that front is king Abazal, well, I'm saying his name wrong. Abazala of Saudi Arabia, Abazal Saudi Arabia, who owns a mere five, yeah, about, and he owns five hundred forty-seven million acres. Still impressive, but nowhere near her six point six billion. So, um, and the
3: the only thing you know, I would <laughs> the only thing I would say in all in all fairness to everyone else on the real estate list, um, <laughs> and I give I, and I give kudos to the royal family. A lot of it, it depends how you count it, because, look, this is, of course, the lawyer and me. How do you really count ownership, right? Um, real estate's a bundle of rights. Owners, technical ownership versus use. I think a lot of it is leased out in very long-term leases for usage. Right,
2: that, but that's she my gets only- 15. But she gets, yeah. 50, I mean, most of it goes to Great Britain, but she gets 15% of the profits, so let's say they're leasing out all that stuff. Fifteen percent would be quite a bit of money, I think. At least.
3: Yeah. I couldn't calculate well, I mean, it. But. I, 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 and, you know, it's very interesting. And, and there was a discussion on this and it will be a factor. One of the factors in um, and, and I hate to start going down the soap opera side here for a second. <laughs> but 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 the Sussexes who moved to the U.S. Uh, about. Them do, do they remain as part of the royal family or not? And their, their son Oscar, you know, there's a very important window that's going to come up um, when he is right around his 18th birthday to decide will he be a U.S. citizen or a, a uh, British citizen? And if he remains a U.S. citizen, there might and he's part of the royal family, there could be all sorts of tax disclosures required in the U.S. regarding um, their holdings. So, um a little technical sort of tax story that loops in with the soap opera is when he's turning 18, we'll see what they do because it could make a lot of these things which are private somewhat public and my guess that's not going to happen. Um so
2: but I just thought that was interesting because I really didn't know yeah. that. I mean, I know they have money, but I didn't know how much money in real estate. And I always tell people, listen, I know I've told um, a lot of the listeners over the years that 90 or something of that percent of self-made millionaires have uh, a lot of their portfolio is real estate. And, um, you, you know, I happen I to think real estate is a great investment. And then I was reading, I think it was... Barbara Corcoran, who kind of said this, um, she said, you know, which I absolutely agree with, you can get very rich in real estate. It's the best investment for anyone out there. Um, and a, it's a slow way to get very rich. I mean, don't believe those shows. I mean, it can happen. I'm not saying it's impossible, but that whole flips, all those shows that they flip, flip the house, they make millions. And don't get me wrong, people did it if they bought it at the right time and everything, but, you know, it's just not that easy at least now it's not um but by but she but they but buy and whether it's a multifamily but she, she says buy the cheapest multifamily you can get in an area that has good rentals live in half of it while tenant pays the other expenses and pays your expenses and then move out and rent another one now it's not easy to afford to buy a multifamily um building, but, you know, there are like t- two family houses or things of that nature. And I think over the years, and you can always get the reports online for Douglas Elliman. We have all the market reports. You'll see that over time, real estate goes up and it appreciates most likely, but it has its dips. But, you know, the only people that really get hurt that I see are people who really bought all wrong or people who totally over their house for the area, which, you know, is another thing I, you know, I, I tell everyone, listen, you know, you look at the prices of the homes in the area and, you know, if if you don't care and you just want your ego to be satisfied or you just say, I'm living here so I don't really care, I this is where I live, but, you know, you don't necessarily make the most money when your home is the best one in the area. You know, you try to stay in the middle um, because, you know, of, of the price range of the area because if you overbuild it or you just put too many things in then usually a person that's going to spend that extra money is probably going to move to a different area because area counts. You know, I was just telling someone in Florida, and I don't know the areas in Florida. I mean, I go there, but I don't know them like I would know anything here. And they said, no, I'm going to get this rental, and it's so cheap because it's brand new, and it's dynamite, and you can't get anything by it. And then I looked and saw where, and I asked some people that were, you know, I know from Florida, and they said, well, you know, that area is not so hot. Okay, and you could get, you would pay the same price for a much, a not as nice apartment in a different area that was a better area. So when you're buying a home or renting or anything like that, I think you have to also compare apples to apples. So you should pick the area you want to be in and then you can decide if you want more house or you want a better area because if you are more want to buy a better, a bigger house for the same price, and you might look in the outskirts of some areas. But, you know, that's really important to look at that. You know, you can't compare apples to oranges. And sometimes a school district, especially in the suburbs, uh, a school district makes a big difference in price. So you can have two identical houses, and let's say they were identical, and maybe they were five blocks away from each other, but they were in different school districts, uh, so you see them both and one's higher, a lot higher than the other. And you say, well, that's crazy. I'll buy this cheaper one. You also have to look at the area the school district because the school districts that are assumed to be better in, um, usually that area goes up, at least in the suburbs. So that's something. Absolutely. To
3: look a, at. A, you Absolutely know, yeah, I mean, look, it gets back to the key question of what drives value. And it's a combination of investment, you know, factors. It's a combination of living factors. I mean, you can always change a paint color. You can always um, make an investment and make a better appliance. You can't move the property. That's the land that you've got. Um, and look, I think you're absolutely right. Even though it's fun and exciting for the fix and flips, um, the reality that, there's a great expression in real estate, you make your money on the buy. And what that means is you plan your investment and you have to assume that when you sell, you're selling at standard market price. Right. You're not selling super high, you're not selling well, you're selling at the market. So the way to make your money on the buy is to understand under undervalued properties, take them and repositioning them. When people have that strategy, a fix and flip can work. But people need to really understand the market. But you're right. The queen is right that basically if you really want to build multi-generational wealth, it's the buy and hold. That—that that, That's the classic strategy, and it's been shown to work uh, again and again over time.
2: Well, you know, Steve, if you go back to like 2000, I think it was what is the the financial crisis was 2008, around there, okay? And, and people were going to banks, getting their money out. People were going to foreclosure. And, um, I remember be doing a radio show, and one of the one of the publications I don't remember what magazine it was it said that millennials will never buy will never want to buy homes because they saw with their parents how they lost their money because they couldn't sell their houses for the same price anymore and that really wasn't true what was true was that a lot of people took equity out of their homes okay and so I'm always telling people that's a good thing to have but you be careful with it and so if you don't have to sell then you can just ride out that time but if you had to sell and you either bought at the high and had to sell right away or when you had to sell you pulled a lot of equity out and you had no you know you took money out and you know and then you had no equity left those are the only people that got hurt and now I'm listening to, like, I'm reading all the markets, like what they're doing, but if they if they're comparing them to the pandemic days of 2000, what is it, twenty, twenty one, I think it's an unfair comparison because you're not, you know, if you look at units, there's usually the units are down, but the units are down because if you're comparing them to the pandemic when everybody was moving. You know, and even if they didn't move out of their state, they moved to a bigger place because everybody was on lockdown. I think that's unfair. And then interest rates, which I think have gone up like, you know, they've more than doubled or tripled. uh, But in my lifetime, I never saw the 3% interest rates other than during the pandemic, which was like a one-time shot. So those people... If you have a 3% mortgage, you're likely not to move because you're not – what are they? They're seven-something now, I think. I
3: think they're they're, they're sixes, seven, depending upon the terms. But, yeah, you know, but look, the, the, you've got to always ask which statistic drives the industry, right? You can throw so many stats that are out there, um, and it's only as good as the information and what are real drivers, right? One of my favorite that I, that I smirk at is price per square foot. And they say, oh, look at the price per square foot and what it's going for. But that presumes they have the square footage right. And so many times we see square footage wrong in the listing, um, which can be an issue. You know, I, I think it's a matter of getting that right information. Well, and this after, is where having the, the right team to, to really filter I that agree. information for you.
2: But after the break, you, you hit something on square footage. Because it's not always right. So... Give me, like, after the break, tell people what you recommend they do uh, other than measure it all by themselves. Because um, that's interesting. Because square footage is not always correct. We'll be right back. We have a lot of things. We're going to talk a little about buying, selling, some tips that you should know when you're buying. Some tips you should know for sure when you're selling. We'll be right back.
4: Hi, it's Arthur Idala. We know summer isn't over yet and Bay Ridge Honda is turning up the heat by saving you $1500. You heard that right, $1500 when you turn in your trade or lease and purchase your next car with them. They have been your family-owned and operated dealer for over 60 years serving the 5 boroughs. Browse from over 200 new Honda vehicles and over 100 certified pre-owned vehicles backed by the Honda True program at their 2022 President's Award-winning dealership. Right now, get 0% APR financing and 0 down payment on select new 2023 Honda models all month long plus receive $1500 when you turn in your trade or lease when you purchase your new car with Bayridge Honda even if you don't buy a car from Bayridge Honda they will buy your car from you so visit them at 4th Avenue and 88th Street in Bayridge Brooklyn or online at bayridgehonda.com that's bayridgehonda.com these deals are available to qualified buyers additional fees may apply see dealer for details sale ends August 30th 2023
5: if you're a business owner imagine getting up to $26000 per Employee, there's still time for business owners to file for the Employee Retention Tax Credit Program. This program is for business owners who continue to pay their W 2 employees during the COVID pandemic. Many businesses qualify and simply do not know it. All business types and industries may qualify. You can claim the credit even if you received a PPP loan. This is a cash payment and not a loan and can be claimed now. The licensed CPAs and tax professionals at DH Tax and Consulting have been serving business owners across the country for over 15 years. The best part is that until you receive your cash, Payment, you don't pay us a dime. Our tax credit specialists are available now at eight three three ERC file, and your tax payment estimate is quick, easy, and free. That's eight three three ERC file to qualify you and your business for up to twenty six thousand dollars per W two employee for free federal aid. Call us now at eight three three ERC file. That's eight three three ERC file. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation, Let Us Do Good Village in Land Lakes, Florida, is
6: a community that will have about a hundred homes for the Foundation's program participants. Two families have already moved in. A Gold Star family and the family of a severely injured hero who served our nation moved into the community's first smart home. The Let Us Do Good Village is a special place where together families can heal. It's all thanks to an extraordinary donation of many acres of land and your generosity. Help America's greatest heroes and their families heal together. Make the Let Us Do Good Village the first of many communities like it with every mortgage-free home. The foundation makes good on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices our heroes have made for our country and our communities. Donate eleven dollars a month to Tunnel to Towers at t2t.org. That's t the number two t dot org.
7: Invite Health would like to help you fight the effects of aging with Resveratrol HX. Did you know that resveratrol is one of the most well-studied nutrients for anti-aging, promoting cell lifespan, supporting the heart, brain, digestive tract and immune system, and it has been shown to help skin have a more youthful appearance? Our Resveratrol HX combines the power of clinically studied trans-resveratrol with grape seed extract and quercetin, all in a liquid-filled capsule to yield the highest potency of these anti-aging powerhouses. Take advantage of this limited time offer. Buy one bottle of Resveratrol HX at retail and get the second bottle free. Contact Invite at 800-673-2345. That's 800-673-2345. Or go to invitehealth.com and use promo code age. Be proactive and fight the signs of aging with Resveratrol HX. Call now, 800-673-2345 for Resveratrol HX.
0: Listen to AM970 the answer on Alexa. Tune in, iHeart or odyssey.com. Continuing
1: with iOn Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of iON Real Estate, the Vice Chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman.
2: We're back and we're giving you some tips on buying and selling. And our real estate attorney, that's why I always say use a real estate attorney, don't just use anyone. It's one of the largest investments most people buy. We were talking about square footage, and talking about a lot of times the square foot. Stephen said a lot of times the square footage isn't correct. So, how does somebody? What What do you recommend to your clients to, if, you know, to to do? Double check it. Do you take a, a measure at all, or just? So,
3: so it's a little tough, and it depends on how you're pricing. So, first, let me take a step back to just clarify. Because some people in some parts of the country are going to scratch their head and say, well, wait a minute. No, I think square footage is pretty accurate. And and in certain parts of the country for certain types of product, it might be pretty accurate. But for a lot of the product uh, in, in New York City, particularly in the older co-ops, um, you're going to see floor plans. Things aren't exactly measured. And... You know, they've gotten better over the years, but some of the older properties, um, you get a number and and it's really way off when you get a bank appraisal down the road. So I think this is where, you know, working with an agent who maybe has experience in the building, understanding the pricing um, and understanding the errors. Now, if depending upon the size of your investment, you know, you got to make a personal decision is what am I going to pay up front for due diligence versus, you know, being comfortable what it is, right? And this is the real balance in making any real estate investment, right? The balance of saying more information, more expenses, versus saying I feel comfortable enough. And and there's no right size answer. So if I have a client looking in a building where it's, let's say, a fairly standardized tower where the entire A-line of apartments are all identical, one bedrooms, that's one level uh, of thought that a client would want to think about versus maybe somebody who's looking at a very expensive, very uniquely designed penthouse apartment where, you know, maybe the difference is instead of being 20 square feet off, it could be off by hundreds and that might be more of a reason to look into something. See, there's, there's no one size fits all, but that's why Dottie, when you're looking at the metrics, you really got to take them all with a bit of a grain of salt. There's really incompleteness in each stat. I think that's out there. That's been my experience.
2: Yeah. Well, also another thing I just want to like alert people to, especially in the suburbs, if you're buying a single family home, um, a lot of times uh, they'll ask the homeowner, what are your taxes? And that homeowner will maybe even produce a tax bill for you, which you would want to see. But what they you sometimes don't realize and and I don't say that the homeowner does this on purpose because I don't think they do but if they have a VA exemption because if you were a veteran there's an exce- you get an exemption in your taxes um, if there's a there's a, a some like I know on Long Island they have a star program which is like more for olds like you know if you qualify for you're older or there's, there's different programs that people have tax exemptions so when you check the taxes You want to look them up and make sure that the person who's giving you their taxes doesn't have exemptions and so that you get the true real taxes because sometimes there are exemptions and someone is honestly just giving you their tax bill and it might have exemptions in it that you don't know about. So I think that's uh, a pretty good thing to check because what happens and I've seen this a lot especially in the suburbs where certain areas are taxed higher than others not because they're better Okay, It doesn't really, taxes don't really, in other words, you would say, oh, well, gee, maybe the area that's better is going to have higher taxes, and that's not necessarily true. It's usually about how much commercial business takes up, you know, uh, pays a lot of the taxes. So um, you you want to make sure, because taxes are a big part of things, and you really need to know what the right taxes are. And so I would always double-check them, and you can... Do that yourself or your agent will do that for you. You can ask them, just double check the taxes for me and make sure there's no exemptions. It's a, it's a good thing to double check because I've seen a lot of mistakes there and not done purposely. I've also seen um, where, you know, somebody has a lot of acreage. And I had, this actually happened to somebody that, you know, worked with me. Uh, they sold a house out on Long Island. Like it was i don't know i don't know if it was two acres zoning, or but, but but a lot of it was woods so the person you know took it for granted that their two acres was that they had the full two acres but there was really just woods and when they went to buy the 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 uh when they went to get the title they found that the neighbor behind them had built something That was really on their property. They just didn't know it. The the owners didn't know it because there was a lot of woods. And you didn't really, you know, it's not like a small plot where you actually know where it ends. And Mm -hmm. so then what happened, and it really got complicated because I forgot what they built. It was a while ago this happened. um, And it was over seven years. And if something is in place over seven years, there's such a thing. And Steve, you can explain adverse possession uh, where, you know, once you use this property over seven years... It's yours. And the person had built something and it was over seven years. I think it was 10 or 15. And so they said, well, adverse possession. And so the, the seller couldn't sell the house. So the, the buyers didn't want to buy it anymore. They And I don't really know. I don't ever know how that got resolved because the people ended up taking the house off the market. But could you explain that to people on adverse possession and things of that nature?
3: Absolutely. So the whole idea behind real estate is that there's this this policy thought process that we want to make sure it's being used and it's put together to the best use out there. And what we don't want to have it is that land just stays fallow and that nobody is using it. There's maybe an owner that disappeared, things like that. And keep in mind that people also would take land that was unused and cultivate, and so forth. So this idea of adverse possession is that if a neighbor, for a certain period of time, so one I want to point out, um, it depends on the jurisdiction. Most are 10 or more, but I'm going to get to more of that in a second. And we have this usual phrase of it has to be open, notorious, and hostile. That's what we typically say about adverse possession where you can't be sneaky about it you have to be open and you almost have to say you're a bad person you have to basically say hey world i know that's not my land and i'm going to have the audacity to act like it's my land and if the rightful owner doesn't stop you for a period of time usually around 10 years or so then you have a case to make it your land now, I do want to point out if you know courts don't love this because they don't want to encourage people trying to be these kind of actors to go onto other people's land, so there is also a court process to actually document that you've been open, notorious and hostile for these years and then um, you know and then um, get get it actually legally turned over. But the problem that comes up, Dottie, which is what you're pointing to even if it's not 100% the land converted to the neighbor, the fact is there's a cloud on title. That's the other expression that we have. And so a lot of title companies are going to say, look, I'm not sure who owns it, but I sure do not want to have to be the party responsible to pay out a legal claim over a dispute over ownership. So you guys got to work this out. Um, and that's a, Dottie, a big part of when you put in a fence where is the boundary line? On a lot of a lot of transactions, we have to deal with neighbors and so forth with these boundary line disputes because people aren't careful. They said, oh, but I had a conversation five years ago. They said it wasn't a big deal. It seems like about right or stuff like that. And, and about right or I had a conversation is not going to cut it when one day you have to sell because those technicalities – really, really matter. And it creates a lot of extra work and headache and things like that when you sell. So, you know, if you own a home, when you see a neighbor putting in, you know, new plantings, if things move, you know, have a fence, then then go ahead and really make sure things are right. Another way, Daddy, to solve this problem, it does cost a little bit more money, but I think for many properties it's worth it. When you buy a home, you get a survey which is a map of the property, and you have a choice. You can just get your map, or you can pay a little bit extra and put what's called stakes in the ground, where they actually put in either a wood or a metal spike in various spots on the line, so you know where the land is is demarcated. So if you see a neighbor trying to um, put something in, you know exactly where the right spot is or is not. And that can really save a lot of hassle and expense for down the road.
2: Right. And, and you know, in most states, again, I can't speak for every state, but in most states, uh, sellers are legally required to provide bars with disclosures and, uh, you know, documents and uh, maybe copies and city reports of what they did and the work they did. And they're supposed to disclose that to you. And so I know in New York we have disclosures, and the sellers got to sign them. So you want to make sure that the seller did disclose. And the seller, by you have to disclose those things if there's anything detrimental to the property. And maybe Steve, I think after the break. Um, you know, it's the, the sellers, you can tell them what those things would be because sellers do have to disclose if they have any floors that they can't, like if there's a hole in the wall, they can't cover it up with a picture. That would be like deceiving. So we're going to talk a little about some of the things that you should look out for and then you should know if you're a buyer or a seller. Okay? We have a lot.
6: On My Pillow's 20-year anniversary, with over 80 million My Pillows sold, Mike Lindell and the My employees want to thank each and every one of you by giving you the lowest price in history on their My Pillows. Queen size My Pillows regular price is 69.98 now only 1998 and just $10 more for king size go to mypillow.com click on the radio podcast square to get Mike's amazing offer on the queen size my pillow for only 1998 or call 800-651-0798 use the promo code P. in addition to the special anniversary offer on the my pillows you will also receive deep discounts on all my pillow products such as bed sheets mattress toppers pet beds mattresses my slippers, and so much more. Go to mypillow.com or call 800 651 0798. Use the promo code JOEP to take advantage of Mike's special offer
8: on his MyPillow. More than 80 million Americans count on AM radio stations like this one for news, important weather updates, and the opportunity to discuss and debate important issues facing our country. But some people want to remove AM radio from new cars being manufactured, and we can't let that happen. The Senate Commerce Committee has approved the AM radio for every vehicle, Senate Bill 1669, and moved it on for a vote in the full Senate. It also faces action in the U.S. House. Your U.S. senator and your representative in Congress are in your home state during the annual congressional recess this August. When you see your senator or congressman visiting your community, please tell them you want their support to keep AM radio strong, vibrant and available to you in your car. This is your opportunity to stand up and be heard or just text AM to 52886. That's AM to 52886 to tell Congress to support AM radio. Hi, Kevin McCullough.
9: Graduation season is here and many students finish college without a clear path towards a career. Do you know a graduate in this position? Tell them about Plaza College's accelerated program in court reporting, which allows you to speed your way into the legal field and make good money without going to law school. This is an in-demand, lucrative career with flexibility that more people need to know about. I'm told district attorneys are in dire need of court reporters. Courts, schools, and television stations are all seeking these professionals to record and caption everything from depositions, classes, live shows, and sporting events. With the national shortage, NCRA partnered with Plaza to offer a free two-week virtual seminar that gives a glimpse into the world of court reporting and captioning. The program is called A to Z, and it's being offered free and can be completed from the convenience of your home. Sign up today by emailing info at plazacollege.edu. That's info at plazacollege.edu. AM 97
0: The Answer. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. AM 970 The Answer is bringing Dr. Liederman's expertise in alternative cancer treatments to prime time every Monday night at 7. Dr. Lederman is triple board certified in radiation oncology, medical oncology, and internal medicine, and is the first physician to perform non-invasive body radio surgery in the Western Hemisphere on an outpatient basis. No hospitals, no cutting, no bleeding. Radio surgery takes minutes, is painless, non-invasive, and usually very well tolerated. Join Dr. Lederman Monday night at 7 on AM 970, The Answer. Listen to us anywhere. TuneIn.com, iHeartRadio.com. Get the app at AM 970, TheAnswer.com.
1: Continuing with I on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Ion on Real Estate, the Vice Chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman.
2: We're back, and Steve and I are talking about some of the things that you should know when you're buying and selling, some little tips we can give you, and you know it seems very elementary. But let me just go through that. Uh, the first thing people do is make an offer. Like so, if you see a property, whether it's an apartment that you like or rental, a house, whatever, you're going to make an offer. And this is interesting, Steve. And I'm going to ask you your opinion on this because when I worked in Long Island, when we took an offer, now remember, an offer is just an offer. So if that property is 750000 you can make whatever offer you have, and if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me correctly, you must present, the broker must present all offers to the seller. So even if somebody made a dollar offer, you'd have to present it to the seller, uh, because the seller then could turn around and say, well, maybe I would have taken that if you showed, you know, you, a lot of times I would hear an agent say, well, the the seller said, they're not accepting anything under this price, over this, you know, they won't accept any offer under this price. And that's dangerous because if, you're, if your broker doesn't present it, then the seller could say six months later if they didn't sell the property, well, you know what? I might have taken that offer if you told me about it, and you could get sued for that. So they have to present the offer. So you, you present an offer, and apparently then if the owner accepts it, um, then your next step is to, you know, you, well, you'll do the disclosure. But let me go back to the offer again. I've had people call me so many times and say, look, I made an offer, Dottie, and it was accepted. The seller accepted, and now I find they took somebody else's offer. Uh, like, your agent is, screw- like, they're, they're, they're hurt. They, they did something that, they wrong. And I said, no, they have to present other offers to a seller. Now, when I was on Long Island, when we would present offers, Stephen, we would present the offer if the seller accepted the offer, only then we would say to the buyer, okay, the the seller signed that they accepted the offer, they'd have to sign it, and then we'd ask them to give us a check of some amount made out to the seller, not to us, as a deposit to show that they were serious and so that it would have all the elements of a legal binding contract. When I came to the city, they didn't do anything like that, okay? Now, so as an attorney, if someone you were advising people, okay, because many times you can make an offer, that seller can accept it, and then I've seen them change their mind and take somebody else's offer.
3: Well, yeah, so there's a very interesting question of what is a contract and when are we in contract? And what you're referring to – of a small deposit and a preliminary document signed is what we'd call a binder. And one of the questions is, is a binder really a contract right. or just a really nice sign of good faith? And this goes back, this is, you know, for anyone who's not like, going to law school, this is sort of like the first week of contract law in law school. And an agreement to say that we're going to agree is not in an agreement. Right. So, it, it's like it's like sort of going on a few dates and saying, you know, we're having a great time and I think you're going to be the one for me. But you're not but, married yet.
2: <laughs> OK, Sounds but good, let me ask you're you, not Stephen. Married. I yeah. was taught, and this is years ago, that if. On that binder, if it had all the elements of a legally binding contract, which means I'm trying to remember them, I mean, a signature. Yep. Well, it's. Uh,
3: yeah, that, I, I can then take you through be, that.
2: Could you take it, us through that? Because so many people make an offer that's accepted, and then another offer comes in better, and the seller doesn't take theirs, and they're like mad at the agent. And um, I don't think they really understand that whole process. I think it's so important so that they know.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean look, Dottie, binders create, in my mind, confusion. I, I'm not a, and i Let me give my conclusion, then I'm going to go back and explain it. Okay. The reason I don't like them is that. Some people are like, am I in contract? Am I not in contract? And look, you're right. I mean, you could have a, an agreement that says parties, property, sales price, condition, sign it up, put in money. You, have, you could have the basic elements of a contract, so you might have somebody bound. Usually the binders, though, um, have some sort of language that, that kind of gives a way out. Also, like attorney's
2: approval, like this is yeah, accepted. And, and then you have,
3: and and then you have, yeah, and then you have exactly subject to attorney approval. And by the way, that's where you know different jurisdictions do that. That that's the main practice in New Jersey. And by the way, for upstate New York, you know, if you're talking about Adirondacks area, because there are a lot fewer attorneys, that tends to be the practice up there, where they have a sort of formulaic contract, maybe the. Um, Board of Realtors have a contract, and what it says is there you have three business days or something to object to what you signed, and then if not, the contract goes firm. So there are elements of that that are out there. But basically, and this is where people have to be careful, uh, the basic formula for a contract is you have to have an offer. A buyer has to say, here are my terms. The seller has to accept them. They sign that document has to be in writing for real estate. You cannot you cannot have a verbal contract for real estate sale. It has to ultimately be in writing, and you have to have some consideration, give up something of value. Now, usually we do it in the form of money, um, but it can you, where it can get dangerous is it can be a promise um, that you engage with some action or you refrain for some action. But the clearest way to prove it is consideration. That's why we do this money deposit. Um, so there's no question that we have a valid contract. And then, of course, Dottie, that's where we get into the penalties if somebody doesn't perform. That's why a buyer could potentially, in the way it's typically written, that they're putting that deposit at risk if they don't follow through. But also, real estate is unique. And if the seller doesn't go through, typically the terms are that this buyer can go for damages and force a sale for the contract price. So you really want to understand, you know, what you're signing, uh, and that's critically important. And the sooner you get your team determined, the better, so you can, you know, be careful and get things moving along.
2: Right. But everyone, going back to that question, people, I, I think need to know uh, that when you make an offer. First of all, as Stephen said, if it's verbal and it's accepted verbally, uh, that doesn't mean anything, really. Somebody can come in. And, of course, we, you know, we're low on inventory, so if it's a decent property, you know, there might be a bunch of offers on it. And so if yours is accepted, again, it depends on what your attorney tells you to do. I mean, if there's no check, it doesn't count. They can take another offer, and there's nothing you can do. I mean like And also know. what
3: if they what if they don't um deposit the check? That's another thing. Even though you may have handed them a check, right. that doesn't mean that they agreed to the transaction. Did they negotiate the check? You know, we've had situations where people um send wires back. That's another factor. I mean, what's very interesting and, and this is also something to keep in mind, and this by the way goes in both directions, and I've been on both sides of this. Um, that let's say a buyer sends over a signed contract and they either wire or send a check-in and the seller sits on signing the contract. Right. The buyer is not stuck. Under under New York law, up until the seller has signed and returned, and, and I use return loosely because there's a few different ways to define return, but until they've done that, the buyer has the right to revoke their offer. So if you're a seller and you get a signed contract and a deposit on a Friday, and you say, you know what, let me wait till Monday or Tuesday and see how the open house goes this weekend. If a buyer gets wind of that and says, hey, you know what, I'm not going to be your backup date to the prom. You either sign now, um, or I'm going to revoke. You might the buyer could absolutely revoke over the weekend, and then you might have no buyer and nothing from your open house. So you got to be very careful. If, if you're playing games and if you're trying to maximize your sales price, which is the seller you're trying to do, but you got to be very careful because it doesn't mean that, oh, now that I got the signed contract, I permanently have them in my back pocket and let me shop for more. They, they yeah. can walk away from you anytime.
2: So that's important to know because right now with inventory that's tight and pretty much in most parts of the country, I mean, there's some parts it's not and it's probably, it'll, maybe it will loosen up a little next year, but it's tight. It's important to know that when you're presenting offers and when you're making an offer, because people always say, well, what should I offer? Now, remember something, legally, and Stephen, and I would love to hear how you advise your uh, clients, but legally, and I'm not an attorney, but legally, um, when somebody, you know, a seller, you know, doesn't have to take it until they legally have a, bind, a solid contract. But legally, by law, the real estate broker, even if the contract is signed, let's say you signed the contract today and, you know, it's all it's supposed to close in three months. And a broker gets an offer a month from now that's legally he has to present it. I mean, so, I mean, mm-hmm. can you explain that? Because I, I don't think many people really understand that. Because cause they would always yell at the brokers, and that sometimes happens. It doesn't happen a lot, but it could happen. Um, but then the legal. Yeah. The, you know, so we the still. Yes, so what happens is number
3: our- one. Yes, yeah, so we're talking about brokers and, and agents here. So number one is you got to have good communication with your seller. And you have a fiduciary obligation to your seller, and you need to know the parameters. And, and my recommendation. Is that you tell the seller all offers, even if they say no, you know. And I know, and and because you never know when they change. And keep in mind, a lot of people who are selling in residential real estate, they've never sold a property before. So when they make a statement where this property is worth a million dollars, I won't take a penny less. And let's say it's been on the market for a few months, and somebody offers nine hundred ninety-nine thousand. $999, because they want to get under the mansion tax and not pay that 1%. Do you think a seller is going to stand by that statement if it's been on the market for six months and he wouldn't take $1 less? Of course he would.
6: No, not at all.
3: And 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 so so what happens is the agent, if you took him literally, wouldn't present that offer. But, you know, if I was the agent, what I would say is this. I know you've told me you wouldn't take a penny less than a million dollars. They're offering $1 less. Just want to make sure you still feel that way because you might be you know, pushing away a qualified buyer. Let me know. And Dottie, that is the beauty of email, right? You have a time date stamp. You have the message. You say, and you can put it out there, sorry to bother you. I know you told me this is below your red line, but it's very close. Just making sure you still feel that way. And, that's and, and by the way, the, the other reason. thing is you never know if the seller counters, the buyer might come up. I mean, how many times you've seen this? Oh, way more than billion. me, Dottie. The buyer <laughs> makes an initial offer, but what they end up paying is higher.
2: Well, well, here's what really happens. Yeah, but it's so psychological. So, uh, the broker's job is to try to try to price the property at what. It's going to sell out, not overprice it, not underprice it kind of, And but there's no science to that. So they're going to basically look at comps and I've watched this happen. So obviously if you're a buyer, a seller, you want, you know, your home to sell quickly uh, because it's a pain in the neck to sell a house, right? It's, you know, you don't want to, you know, people mm-hmm. are in out. It's It's a pain. But I've watched if an offer comes in very quickly, like uh, if you list the house today, the broker gets a listing and they sign it. And tomorrow a a, a a buyer comes in and pays full price. Here's what the seller does. Well, wait a second. I don't know Then maybe you didn't price my house properly that I got an offer so fast. Maybe you <clears throat> underpriced it. Okay. So, you know, I think that, as a, a, a seller, what, when you're talking to your broker, you should go through the comps. Some, I advise sellers, go see what your competition is. You know, Find out some of the open houses and go to them. That's your competition. Uh, but again, if you look at the terms, you know, you, if you have a good offer, uh, sometimes uh, a seller's not ready because they just put the house on the market. So uh, if you're a buyer... And a lot of the buyers know if the house is just put on the market, more than likely they're not going to be as flexible. And I'm not saying it's never could happen, but more than likely they're not going to be as flexible as a person that has their home on the market six months, like you just said. Mm-hmm. But if it's new on the market and it's brand new, that's why I tell you if you're working with a broker and the broker says, listen, we have something that sounds like you're, you know, what you want and it just came out. You need to hustle and go see it, even if it ends up not being the property you wanted, because anything that's pretty good probably doesn't last that long. So you Mm -hmm. wanna just go see them and you you know, and then it also helps you when you start seeing properties and you see what's on the market, then you you know, you get a better idea of, of the inventory. But negotiating and people say, Well, what should I offer? And by rights, the seller, I mean, the the seller, the broker that's working for the seller is really not going to tell you their bottom line. So, how would you, after the break, Stephen, how would you recommend someone decide what offer they should make?
3: I because think we're running, Dottie, I hate to say, I think we're at out, out of time for the first hour. We have to wait till next week.
2: Oh, my gosh, I'm leaving you on a cliffhanger. God, exactly. Stephen, I said the time <laughs> went so fast, I didn't even realize the hour was over. Well, we're going to tell you that answer next week because that's something you should know. And we'll be back with two great guests, uh, our architect and our insurance and more of Iron Real Estate. Steve, thanks. and so happy you're back. Thank
0: The preceding hour of programming paid for by DTHY Realty Incorporated. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn.